It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, let me stay with the weather for a moment because it's very much time to make sure you've got lots of sun cream lotions available to you. If you're partial to a barbecue, plan your barbecues for this uh, week because we're told that some of the temperatures we're going to get across this week and across next weekend, it will put us up there and we will be the same as the temperatures on the Algarve. Ireland, we could see temperatures top 28 degrees on Thursday and uh, Friday across many areas because we have this high pressure zone that's going to bring Mediterranean style weather to the island for at least the next 10 days. Met Aaron, because of it, were forced yesterday to issue a heat advisory notice to the nation. They don't often uh, do that. It kicked in yesterday morning and it remains in place for the next eight uh, days. And obviously, issuing a heat advisory. They are particularly cautioning vulnerable people about heat uh, stress because this very hot spell we're going to experience from Wednesday right through the rest of this week and right across next weekend with daytime temperatures. They're every day going to be mid to high uh, 20s and then overnight it's going to remain uncomfortably warm at night. So we're going to have those muggy uh, nights. Just one day of rain is forecast over the next 10 days. The best of the mini heatwave is likely though going to be Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and it's on those three days that it is expected that we will be hotter than Faro in uh, Portugal. Over the next five days including today the mercury will not fall below 22 degrees but it could go a lot higher than that. There is a chance that some inland areas that they won't have the advantage and the benefit of a sea breeze. They could see temperatures going as close to 30 degrees in some inland areas. Now because of that 
we're going to have lots and lots of people flocking to waterways and flocking to the beaches. So the Irish Coast Guard have come out, Irish Water Safety have come out appealing to people to please take extra precaution when enjoying water sports. Gardaí are also urging people when you're travelling, please slow down. Be aware that there's a large number of cyclists and motorcyclists all using the roads. There's also going to be a, a lot of the the sort of the very large agricultural machinery, the contractors will all be out in force uh, over the next week uh, to 10 days. So please be aware of, if you come around a bend, you don't know what is going to be coming uh, against you. So the, the fine weather is forecasted to break somewhere between August 16th and August 18th. So we've got all of this week and right across next uh, weekend. So please, if you are heading to the beaches and the waterways, uh, stay safe because the see all of the papers today are mentioning the fact that that brother and sister who tragically drowned in Ballybunion, they are being buried uh, this morning. So we think of them, Desi Byrne, who was 52 and he drowned alongside his uh, sister who was based, had been living in Sweden and was home on holidays, Muriel Ericsson. They're both being uh, buried uh, alongside each other today. So it's desperately sad for their family. So just be aware of the dangers of the seas and waterways. 0818 103 103. John Paul uh, taking your calls. And I also can't let the day, the start of the programme pass without saying well done and commiserations to our girls on the senior and intermediate camogie teams. Each and every one of you uh, did yourself and your families and the entire county. Uh, pride and there is always next year but it's just heartbreaking for both the intermediate and the senior girls because they they put so much time and so much effort uh, into it but they were uh, good matches and just unfortunately not to be Cork's year this year. 0818103103. Now as I'm mentioning that we're having this wonderful week of uh, weather and wouldn't it be great if for the rest of the month of August we'd nice fine weather because you always think of the, the children and we all sort of remember our own childhood through I suppose rose tinted glasses there's always the thing that when we were children it was always sunny and we headed out in the morning and you, you came back in for your dinner in the middle of the day and you were out again and you didn't come back in until you knew it was time to go to bed and we kind of we sort of amused and entertained ourselves but that's very very different to today's families and a lot of today's families have both mum and dad out at work so of course the summer months and the long summer holidays can really prove to be a major, major headache for parents trying to find available childcare for their children or else trying to enrol them in the summer camps. And I'm reading from an analysis done in the Irish Independent today that hard-pressed parents are forking out anything up to €3,000 to keep their children entertained in summer camps over the summer holidays. It is an expensive summer where you've got a household where both parents are working because if both parents are working, they then have to scramble to get various childcare options to try to have their children looked after and entertained through June, July and uh, August. So according to this analysis in the paper, a number of the most popular summer camps around the country have found that families with two children would have to shell out around €3,000 
to keep their children in their summer camps if that was going to be the only way that they were going to get childcare to look after their children while they went uh, to work. For parents whose children attend primary school, a little bit cheaper because obviously the primary school holidays is eight weeks rather than 12 weeks for the secondary school. So primary school parents could end out uh, for two children forking out two thousand euro and obviously all of this is coming at a time when many households are really struggling with the rising cost of uh, living now how they work out the figures is they say that the average cost of sending two children to a summer camp for one week it works out at 250 euro so it's about 125 euro uh, per child so if you're doing that across 12 weeks that's how they come up with the the three thousand even though realistically I, I find it hard to believe that there would be any family that would be forced into that situation that that's the only way they could get their children minded was to send them from summer camp to summer camp to uh, summer camp. Now they do quote and chat with in The Independent today one mum of uh, two, a lady from Bray who has two little girls, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Now the four-year-old last year was too young to go to the summer camps but this year the four-year-old is able to go to the summer camps. So for the entire month of July she sent her two little girls to uh, various summer camps which cost her €1,500. Now she admits herself an outrageous sum of money but they had no other choice. She had to go to work. Her husband had to go to work. Now what she's doing for the month of August is she's lucky in that she's relying on family to help out but it just struck me, my goodness, how young parents are really, really struggling if they don't have there was always the time where granny might have been available but granny uh, isn't always available that it, it isn't always as easy to find a family member to look after the children during the summer holidays and we do have some of the long, longest summer holidays compared to say other European countries with the three months off of the secondary school and the eight weeks off for the primary school children but it's just huge sums of money so I don't know if any of our of, of our parents listening to the programme uh, today if any of them have been forced into that situation paying out huge sums of money as I say those figures are based on two children having to be minded during the summer months your thoughts welcomed 0818 103 103 John Paul taking the calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 
That's music from the four of us on C103 and that is uh, Mary next Friday and Saturday 12th and 13th of August Westlife are coming to Cork and if you don't have tickets yet can I tell you you've got a chance to win a pair of tickets free to go see Westlife here with C103 this Wednesday we're having a free Westlife uh, Wednesday uh, and we're doing it all day long what will happen is every time we play a Westlife song you are then going to need to react very very quickly and text your or WhatsApp the song title along with your name to a name and address to be in with a chance to win we're doing that all day on a free Westlife Wednesday this Wednesday your chance to grab tickets to Westlife only on C103 we're looking forward to a fun day on Wednesday can I follow up on something we did last week because I'm after getting an answer back in on this this Pat one of our listeners who lives in Mill Street in an estate called Trishan View had joined us on the programme because he says it was two years ago at this stage that they were promised new doors and windows. Now, I think he explained that they got their doors put in, but the windows are gone. They're the old timber style windows. They've been in the house since, certainly since Pat moved in. He reckoned over, I think it was 23 odd years ago. And they're, 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 they're rotting, they're rattling around in the breeze. Now, they won't have a problem uh, this week, but certainly in the winter months. And, you know, Pat, was we were discussing about energy efficiency and how we're all talking our homes should be made more energy efficient and he's saying that a lot of the heat that when they have the heating on and the fires lit it's just going straight out the windows because the windows are so bad and they had this promise from the council that they were going to get their new windows and they were hearing nothing and getting nowhere and he was asking could we do an intervention could we get onto Cork County Council and just find out any kind of a timeline for the residents of Trishan View in Mill Street as to when they can expect their new windows I unfortunately this morning uh, come being the bearer of bad Bad news because the council got back to us and they say that the residents of Dushan View previously requested upgrades to the windows of the properties. Yes, we know that. These works are to be progressed and funded as part of the energy retrofit of these properties, which will also include the installation of heat pumps heat pump based heating systems now due to significant costs associated with these works the council is dependent on the availability of funding from the department of housing local government and heritage in order to undertake the works funding unfortunately was not approved for this estate as part of cork county council's energy retrofit submission and as such works in this estate will not be undertaken this year now it is now hoped that works in the estate will be undertaken sometime in 2023 as part of Cork County Council's 2023 Energy Efficiency Upgrade and Retrofit Programme. So do I take from that that next year Cork County Council will again have to submit to the Department of Housing, Local and Government and Heritage put in the various estates that they want to do the work and we just have to keep our fingers crossed that Trishan View in Mill Street will be included in it. But there's certainly no hope of windows for the residents for 2022 and I don't even have a possible date of when it might happen in 2023 so that certainly isn't good news for Pat and the rest of the residents in Drishan View in Mill Street. 0818 103 103 and we are getting on to bus airing about this but I just want to see does this affect other people or not. Annette, one of our listeners has contacted us to say is there any chance you would consider doing a segment on your programme as to why I can't take my dog or indeed anybody else can't take their dog on the bus. I would love to go for a break somewhere around the country, but I want to bring my dog with me. I can travel 
but I can't travel with my dog. By the way, says Annette, I can do this in Europe. And there are lots of accommodation now that are dog friendly. You'll see if you go on some of the Airbnb websites or if you're going to rent a house, I think some of the hotels do it as well. They'll say they're dog friendly. So there's because there are a lot of people have no one, say, to, to leave the dog with, no one to look after the dog, don't want to put the dog into kennels. It isn't always possible to get a kennel for your dog. And other people just don't want to be separated from their dogs and they want to bring their dog with them on holidays. I didn't realise that, but there's no accommodation for dogs on buses here in this country. We'll get onto bus air and see if we can find out why or what's the reasoning behind it or have they any plans to allow dogs to travel. But I'm just giving it out there to see are there other people like Annette that would like to travel with their dog on public transport but can't because it's not allowed but it is allowed in mainland Europe. Your thoughts welcomed on that? 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Some 60% of rent increases reviewed by the housing charity threshold here in Cork during the first six months of this year were found to be invalid. To discuss what they're seeing, I'm joined from Threshold by Anne-Marie O'Reilly, who is Policy Officer with Threshold. Good morning, Jean-Marie. Good morning. And how are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Now, just over 100 people came into mm. the Cork office where, mm. where their landlord had looked for a rent uh, increase. Is mm-hmm. that surprising that 67% of them, that so many of them would be invalid? Unfortunately not. It's, uh, it's, it's what we see every day in Threshold. Uh, generally, the majority of rent reviews that are brought to us are invalid. So it's, it's always great when a renter does come in and, and, and says, I'm after getting this, you know, do I need to pay it? Is it right? And we're able to tell them yes or no. And obviously in the majority of cases, it's a no, you, you don't have to pay that. Um, so that certainly saves the renter then having to pay an invalid rent increase and certainly is, you know, um, uh, better for them, better for their pocket. I suppose, can you explain to us what makes a rent increase invalid? Yeah, of course, yes. So um, there's, there's two sets of rules when it comes to uh, rent increases. So there's the rent pressure zone rules and the majority of Cork is actually designated rent pressure zone. So um, in those areas, a landlord may only increase the rent on a property once uh, every 12 months. And that rent increase has to be in line with uh, what's the, the consumer price index, but cannot exceed 2%. So the increase, no matter what the consumer price index is at, uh, the, the, it's capped at, at the, in, the increase is capped at two percent. Uh, so, and there's a formula that the landlord uh, has to use to calculate that. It's provided by the Residential Tenancies Board and have to notify the tenant ninety days in advance of that uh, new rent kicking in. But it can uh, only be done once every twelve months. Every twelve months, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it do, it doesn't matter if. Um, Let's say a landlord was to, you know, increase the rent there in January. You move out and the new tenant moves in tomorrow. Well, they can't put in a new rent with that new person moving in tomorrow. They have to wait until the following January. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the 90-day the one is interesting as well, that they can't come and say, I'm putting your rent up from next month. No, no, it has to be 90 days notice to increase the rent. Yeah, And it has to be in writing. 
uh, you know, has to take a specific format and the RTB outlines, you know, all of that for how landlords are to do it. So yeah, the, the, there are there's a couple of key things there that they have to do to to uh, legally increase a, a person's rent. Um, now, for people who live outside rent pressure zones, the rules are slightly different. Uh, in those areas, the rent can only be increased once every 24 months. Okay. And um, the rent, uh, it has to be in line with market rent, whatever that new rent might be. Now, to demonstrate market rent, the landlord has to provide evidence of three similar properties in the area to show, well, these are the rents on these similar properties. So. If you're renting a two-bed flat, well, the landlord has to show rents on similar two-bed flats. It can't be going, well, this three-bed semi-D down the road Mm. is going for €500 or more. So there's rules about that as well. And similarly, 90 days notice has to be in writing. Okay. But is there a danger, Anne-Marie, that some people just pay the increased rent out of fear of losing the property? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Yes, and that's certainly something that you know that the threshold advisors uh, would highlight. Um, you know, when they're advising people, well, actually, that that rent that that increase is invalid. You don't have to pay it. And the person might say, "Oh, look, it's fine. You know what? I can manage it. Um, it'd be grand. I don't want to. I don't want to you know, sort of be upsetting the, the landlord or risk anything. And it's just it's the fear people have now because there are so few properties to rent. Now, what we are what, what happens then, though, people maybe put up with these rent increases for as long as they can till it gets to the point they just can't pay it anymore. And this year in particular, we've seen the cost of everything go up. People are really squeezed. Um, and we we published our quarter two impact report last week and it was one of the case studies was of a lady who'd like that. She'd received plenty of rent reviews. She was paying them. She was kind of getting on with it. It got to the point where she just couldn't afford it anymore. So she contacted Threshold. The advisor looked at all of her rent reviews and said, they're all invalid. So her rent had gone um, a couple hundred euro above what it was supposed to have gone. But she she came to us when she couldn't pay anymore. But um, the case went to the RTB and the RTB ordered the landlord to to repay all that overpaid rent. Uh, to the tenant. Good result uh, so for the tenant. That's a great wonderful, result. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And I suppose not many would go that far, but this, this, when people, when you're at the end of your tether. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's what a lot of people are, mm. are finding themselves, yeah. uh, Anne-Marie. I mean, I'm assuming, would you be hearing from many households struggling to pay what, you know, are already unaffordable, unaffordable rents for a lot of families? Yes, yes. Yes, definitely. Um, and there's a, a greater need now to, to refer people on to maybe just invest the poll to get the bit of assistance, whether it's with you know the grocery vouchers or a bit of help paying maybe the utility bills and things like that. And with children now returning to school and the cost of all of that, you know, we, we can expect to see more people struggling uh, but certainly that that's um like like i said like last last year in particular where we're seeing people going you know it's fine i'll pay it uh, whereas this year it's like i, I don't I have can't. yeah yeah I, yeah and i'm struggling um yeah yeah uh, people other, are yeah because every everywhere you turn you're paying more than you were paying this time last year Yes, exactly. So it is. It's a real struggle for for anyone who was already struggling and then for those who maybe up until last year were getting by. 
say. Okay. It's now a different story. Question from a listener for Anne-Marie, please. With mortgages set to rise, hmm. does Anne-Marie fear that some landlords will look to tenants to increase rents to cover the cost of their higher mortgage? Hmm. It is something that uh, we, we do have a concern about. Um, now, we don't have exact figures on how many landlords... Uh, landlords um, uh, are still paying a mortgage based on the central bank uh, mortgage figures. I approximate it's about 45% of landlords actually have a mortgage on their property. Um, so we shouldn't see, so we shouldn't see a, a sort of a wholesale increase on on rents because mortgage uh, interest rates rise. But certainly for those that do have mortgages, they may be, they may be inclined uh, to do that. But that's we still have the the rules. The rules was about. yeah yeah. And, you know, while I would empathise maybe with if there is a landlord who is struggling, you know, Manny did struggle, especially when there was if there were negative equity. It can't all be placed on the the renters' page. You know, everyone is struggling right now. Yeah, and a Skibbering listener says on the ninety days notice hmm. that Amory mentioned for rent increases, does that apply to commercial premises or is it just residential? Uh, residential, there's a separate um, um, set of legislation dealing with commercial, which would be beyond my, my remit. Yeah, 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 your residential. Very and actually, residential. reading the front page of the uh, Irish Examiner, mm. and, and it's one of the main breaking news stories mm. of, of, of today, is the, mm. is the evictions that have been yeah. called for. This is the Residential Tenancy Board showing yeah. the increase in the number of people that have been evicted yeah. In the last 12 months, that's yeah. really worrying. Yes, and I suppose uh, it's something that, again, in threshold, particularly since the beginning of this year, we, we've seen that marked increase. You know, like for, for many years now, Threshold has been highlighting the number of uh, notices of termination uh, coming in, particularly for sale. Uh, but this year, it really has stepped up. Um, and so, yeah, I think in the RTB figures, it said approximately 3,000 in the first six months. And that actually tallies with the number of private renters threshold assisted with tenancy terminations in the first six months, just short of 3,000. And just over half of those were for sale. And I, I took just a look at, at the number of people we helped in Cork with notices uh, this year, and um, or the first six months, rather, and it's just over 600. Um, people in Cork approached Threshold looking for assistance because their landlords had issued them a, a notice of termination. And unlike the rent reviews, the majority of terminations for sale tend to be valid. Yeah. Um, whereas for many years, we were kind of seeing the opposite. We were seeing a lot of them were invalid. You know, we were able to assist the renter to... to um, Stay in the property. Challenge. Yeah. Yeah, the challenge the landlord. But what we're seeing now, no, they are valid. And it... it it, the, the tenant has little choice but to start looking for a new place. Now, the word change is made to the notice periods that have to be given. So it does give renters a bit longer to find somewhere. But as we know, there are fewer and fewer. They're not available. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, I mean, we yeah. constantly hear that from yeah. our listeners, Amory. People yeah. live, anyone renting mm. has that constant fear factor that the mm. landlord might, to sell, might decide to sell the property. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the the whatever about um, not knowing will it, will this be my home in five years' time? To to know to to wonder is it tomorrow the knock on the door is going yeah, to come yeah. the letter? Uh, uh, yeah, because it does seem to be across the board now. Landlords are deciding to sell and uh, and leave the the private rented sector.
Yeah. And if you've got children who are attending local schools, you know, the, the necessity to find a house locally is just yeah. adds to the worry. It really yeah. does. So yeah. just finally then on the invalid rent increases, yeah. would you encourage any tenants who are facing a rent increase to contact you? Oh, of course. Of course. Ring. <laughs> we we, uh, we have our free phone. It's uh, from nine until nine, Monday to Friday. 1-800-454-454. You can jump onto our website, threshold.e, and go onto our web chat and ask one of the advisors to take a look over your rent review. Um, and uh, they will they will set you on they will set you on the right path. They'll tell you if that's valid or not invalid, and they can they can advise you on you know what to go back and say to your landlord, um, or if you are don't feel that you can, the the advisor uh, can speak to your landlord or the, the, the letting agent on your behalf. Because I'm just thinking, I mean, are landlords just chancing their arm or are some people unaware they're just not up to speed with what the rules are? Uh, I'd say it's a combination. Is it? Okay. Uh, like the RTB did a survey of landlords two years ago and certainly there's a, a, a high level of awareness of the rules among landlords. Some may have worked out the the they formula incorrectly or perhaps they got their dates wrong they jumped the gun maybe on when they were meant to increase it others it's a blatant disregard for the rules you mm. know so it's a combination Do we need a fresh ban on evictions like we had during the pandemic? That's certainly something that it may need to be considered as it's problematic uh, when you when you have something like a moratorium in place you need to have a backup plan because you know something like a ban on evictions can only last so long and I suppose the government has a thousand for all plan but it's going to take some years for for those homes to come up you know for enough of those uh, to come into the market um, but it, one thing that possibly could work in the short term is um, a change to the tax treatment for landlords but linking that to increased security of tenure mm. so we keep hearing from landlords the small landlords you know we need the tax treatment to change uh, we're not, you know, it, it needs to be more equitable. So in threshold, we're saying, well, if that's the, if that's what's needed, sector, fine. But then the tenant must get a minimum of a ten-year lease. You know, so because to give them security, to. yeah. Exactly. Because if I exactly. mean, if these if these evictions keep going, Amory, we're going mm. to see a level of homelessness yeah. that we never thought was possible in this country. And yes, and that and that and we've seen the numbers rise in the last couple of months, and it's 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 worrying because it was only with the moratorium and evictions that we saw the dip, and it does and and it it does seem like we need something like that again to to actually uh, tackle and address homelessness. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, particularly until yeah. the, this promise of all these social houses that are going to uh, the delivery of them until they arrive, yeah. something has to yeah. be done to protect people. All right, listen, yeah. Emery, enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that and Thank uh, you. have a good day. Thanks for joining you us. You too. Best good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Anne-Marie O'Reilly who is Policy Officer with Threshold. So please, if you have, uh, if your landlord has come to you with a rent increase, check it out with Threshold just to make sure that it is valid and that it is in and the invalid rent increase, 1-800-454-454. That's their number Monday to uh, Friday. Our number is 0818 
103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, last week it was announced that victims of stalkers will be able to apply for civil restraining orders against them without a criminal prosecution being taken. It's all part of major new legislation, which also, of course, includes making stalking a standalone offence. To talk about the new measures which are set to become law in the autumn of this year, I'm joined by Cork woman Una Ring, who, of course, herself was subjected to a terrifying uh, stalker ordeal. Good morning to you, Una. Good morning, Patricia. All, Thanks for having me. Well, on. always great uh, to uh, chat to you. Allowing a victim to obtain a civil restraining order against their stalker. Can you explain to us how you believe that will help? Uh, up to up to now, you had to be either in an intimate relationship with somebody. Either it had to be a partner, ex-partner, family member. Basically, you had to live in a home with them. Um, or you had to have a successful prosecution to get a restraining order against somebody. So we'd say if it was like a work colleague, like in my case, or postman's milkman or whatever, you wouldn't be able to get a restraining order against that person. It would have to be an ex-partner. Um, so that means now that somebody who isn't in a partner, you can get a restraining order against them, which is going to be a huge, huge help to people. You know, do you believe it could have helped you when your stalking began? Yeah, like if I had been able to get, um, like I first went to the guards in June about James Steele, and like it, it didn't really escalate to high gear until July. So if I had been able to get one then, and obviously if he had adhered to it, um, that would have saved all the, you know, even the financial aspect, the the guard resources, the free legal aid in court, the court the court costs, the prison time costs, like it would have saved the country money and it would have saved myself money and it would have saved an awful lot of, I suppose, anguish and fear and all the rest that went with it, you know? Yeah, and everything that you had to uh, put, put up with. Yeah. Is it very hard for people to understand, Una, the effect can, that stalking can have on a victim? Yeah, I think unless you actually go through it, you won't understand it. I don't think you can understand it. I think you have to live it to know what it is. It's, it's just the constant fear. And like there is no there is no let up because when you're at home, you're afraid they're going to break into your home. Like during the night, you're going to afraid, you're, you'll be afraid they're going to break in. When you're out, you're afraid they're going to abduct you. When you're driving, you're watching over them in the car. Like there's no, it's 24-7, seven days a week. There's no let up and it's just, it's really, really exhausting. Yeah, because I, I remember of all, I've interviewed you um, quite a good few times now, but I, re- I remember, you know, after the case when you were outlining what you went through, the one that thing that always sticks in my mind was you seriously considered getting a tattoo on your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really, really did think he was going... I thought, to be honest, that he was going to get me when I was out and about as opposed to breaking into my house because the fact that he had left the letter, like, people were saying to me, I should look the fact that he's announced it. He probably won't because it would be fairly stupid, like, do you know? So they were kind of saying, you're... you're, you're I, w- I was basically told, really, that my, my biggest, um, I suppose biggest factor that he could get me was when I was going out to my car because there was places for him to hide behind the house you know so it was really 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 terrifying and I mean there was an internet search for chloroform 
yeah. um, on his on his computer. So he he really was going to do me harm. So so it went through your head at one stage. I'll get a tattoo, so that if I'm ever found dumped somewhere, yeah. my God, to even to even have the, those thoughts going through your head, uh, Una, God help you, God help you. So your message also is very much to people living through it at the moment and you know and I'd be, I'd be very conscious and aware there will be people listening to this programme mm-hmm. this morning who are living under that fear of stalking yeah. Yeah. Is, is to go to the guards you will be listened to but more importantly you were believed from the minute you first went into the guard station Yeah I was straight away from the very very first guard that I spoke to um, and all the way up through all, even all the way up through the ranks like they all took me seriously. They were all very empathetic. They were very personable. They were very helpful. Um, but I do think that my case was the exception rather than the rule. I know of other people who weren't treated favourably um, and weren't really helped by a lot of, of guard stations throughout the country. So I think I think I was extremely fortunate that everybody I dealt with was mm. excellent. You know, they they really did themselves proud down in y'all. They really, really did. And like from start to finish and like catching them is only the first step. Prosecuting them is the difficult part. And they were so meticulous with the chain of evidence and everything they had so that he couldn't get off on a technicality. They really, really did themselves proud down there, you know. Do, do you believe only for those local guards and what they did that it could have been a very different outcome for you? Oh, 100 percent. A hundred percent I owe everything to them. You know, like they, they sat outside in the dark, like from midnight until 5 a.m. Like that it was their fourth night in a row, the night he was caught. Like had they not been there, I, I don't even want to think of what would have happened, you know, with what he was equipped with. And of course they had no way of knowing if he was going to show at all that week or, you know, when he was going to show. No, no, they yeah. hadn't. And like they, they were saying, they were, they had told me like that their resources were limited and like they didn't know how long it it could be before they'd have to pull it you know so I suppose I was fortunate that it happened the way it did in the time frame that it happened you know because if it was another few days down the line and had they stopped it could have been the following night that he came and I'd have been in the height of trouble you know yeah, yeah, don't even try not to even go yeah. there. And the maximum yeah. penalty for stalking will also be uh, 10 years because your stalker got five. Yeah, he got five, but like it started at nine. His initial sentence was nine um, and there was two years taken off for his guilty plea because he pled guilty and he saved a trial. So he, there was two years knocked off then for that. So that brought it down to seven. And then there was two years suspended and that brought it down to five. But he'll actually only serve three. His due release date is the 24th of April, 2024. And that date is already etched on your mind, is it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, not looking forward to it. But has he he apologised? Has he said, look, I'm sorry? Did did he try to explain why he did what he did? I mean, he just became obsessed with you. Yeah, like he he apologised. It was was a a half-hearted apology the following day when we went we had to go to Clonmel the following day um, for the bail hearing and he apologised that day but it was very half-hearted I think it was more apologetic because I think he was told to apologise um, to seem remorseful so he would get bail um, and at that stage he had been on to his wife but like he hadn't even told her he had just told her about the vandalism to the car and the house he told her nothing else so even at that point he was kind of in denial he wasn't admitting the full 
um, amount of, of stuff that he had done and it was a very half-hearted apology and it was really just so that he would get bail and like I didn't believe it for a second, you know. But when he comes out, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that there will be restraining orders in place that he's not allowed to go anywhere near you. Oh yeah, like yeah. There, is, there, is, there is a lifelong restraining order right, um, okay. directly or indirectly through me or my family um, and he will be under strict supervision for five years um, and if he breaks that, he will be put back in for the remaining two years of the suspended sentence. And he is like he is now a, a registered sex offender. The the guards and y'all again, and the prosecutors, they really worked hard to get him on the sex offender registry because he didn't actually commit an act. Um, but, but the they, intention was there. The intention was there. So they, they actually worked really, really hard to get him on the sex offenders registry, which means he will be under extra supervision when he comes out. OK. And how are you doing since, Una? You're good and bad. You know, good days and bad days. Like July is a particularly hard month for me because it all culminated in July 2020. Like it was very intense that month. Um, so July is particularly hard. But yeah, I like it. I, I would think I've seen him and I would get a fight even though I know he's in prison. So, like, and I would be still very aware of my surroundings. I won't go anywhere without telling anybody where I am. So, like, it is still, it has changed me completely, know, you know? know. And you're always I'm very conscious of locked doors, locked windows. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 All right, yeah. well, stay strong. You're an amazing woman. And, and what Thanks you've done much. since in making sure that these laws are put in, put in place, a lot of that is, is down to you and you've got to be congratulated for that. Listen, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Thanks. Una. Thank very, you. Stay safe. Much. Look after yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Una uh, Ring, who was this herself subjected to a terrifying uh, stalker ordeal a number of years ago. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, we've had a couple of calls in this morning from Dromina. There was a burst water main there yesterday and Irish Water were advising the water was due to be restored this morning at 8am. So obviously if the good people at Dromina weren't on the taps, so there's no water in their taps. Uh, so they were wondering what was going on. So we got on to Irish Water who said they're investigating it, but they did also say that they are have, they have a number of outages around the area, um, some in uh, Charleville and we're getting lots a cause in from different parts of North Cork. I know what's happening with burst pipes in North Cork. We don't exactly have a cold spell. Usually during a cold spell we'll get a slew of burst pipes and, you know, it's understandable and, you know, you think of Irish water and they're trying to get their crews out as quickly as possible. So I don't know what is going on this morning, but I'm being told that this is the latest from Irish water of areas that have no water this morning. Dromina Village that I've just uh, mentioned Liscarroll village and the surrounding areas there's up to 500 premises there without water Knocknagree village and the surrounding area schemes they've got a problem this morning and Kilbehany village and the surrounding areas also have a problem this morning in the Mitchellstown area. And Irish Water are saying that they will update us as soon as repair works have been uh, completed. So just to let people know, because I think people get very frustrated if they can't get through to Irish Water and then they're thinking they're not, they're unaware that there's a problem in our area. So if you're living in any of those areas and you've contacted us this morning, just to let you know that Irish Water, very aware that there's a water outage there and they 
are working on it and as I say they will update us as soon as repair works have been completed but you're just thinking we're going into possibly the hottest 10 days well it is the hottest 10 days of the summer so far and to be doing that without water just does not bear thinking about 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls now the listener that I mentioned earlier this morning that asked us if we could do a segment or could we investigate why this was Annette why she can't take her dog on the bus with her she'd love to go away in a bit of holiday she wants to use public transport which by the way the Green Party would be delighted with you know the environmentalists would be delighted with you we're told get out of our cars get onto public transport She wants to get away for a bit of a break with her dog, but she can't travel on public transport in Ireland with the dog with her. Yet if she was in mainland Europe, she'd be able to jump on the bus and the train. Most European countries allow you to bring your dog, you know, once it's on a lead and it's well behaved and all of that. And uh, she's just wondering if we could look into it. Now we are and have gotten onto bus air and we're waiting on a reply from them. But have had a couple of comments in on this, including Trish in Blackpool. Now, I don't know if this is of any use to Annette or anybody else who's trying to travel with a much-loved pet. Trish says that she got a pet stroller. Some people call it a pet buggy. So it's a special buggy that you put your dog you can put a cat into it, I suppose, as well, but she uses it for her pet pooch. She pops her dog into the pet stroller and she's travelled on the bus and nobody has ever said anything to her. As far as she knows, the rules are you've got to make sure that if you're travelling with your dog on public transport, you've got to make sure that it's not going to go to the toilet while on the bus or the uh, train. So she said because her dog is in the pet buggy, there can't be any accidents like that, even though she says her dog is fully trained and there would never be an accident uh, like that. So she reckons she's never been pulled up on it because she has her dog in this pet buggy and she's fine. She's able to travel on the bus and that might be of use to Annette or uh, others. Trish also has an understanding as to why dogs are not allowed. Now, obviously, if it's a, a guide dog or an assistance dog, that's a very, very different situation. They are, of course, allowed on public transport. But she says another reason could be that you could have people travelling on public transport who are afraid of dogs. And we all know there are people who maybe as a child got bitten by a dog and are absolutely fearful, won't go anywhere near if there was a dog and if you were on a bus and suddenly somebody jumps on with their dog, you know, it might put the fear of God into some people. So Trish recognises that and says, you could have very large dogs which could scare passengers and she's wondering, could that be one of the reasons why we don't allow dogs on public transport here, but yet they are allowed in uh, other European countries. And then Lucy in West Cork sent me a WhatsApp to say no dogs on public transport in this country is a real pain. Lucy says, I love long distance walking and I love to do it with my dogs, but not being able to get the bus home makes it oh so much more difficult. It means having to ask favours from friends and family to come and collect me when I'm finished my long walk or simply just not being able to do the thing I most love to do going along walk with my dogs. An example was when I walked across the country to Dublin for breakthrough cancer research, which I spoke to you about at the time. Instead of making my own way home, I had to rely on a friend 
to make the journey from West Cork to Dublin to fetch me and my boys. And that was a big ask. In the UK and in Europe, I could have just jumped on public transport. We're supposed to use our cars less, but this country really likes to do everything it can. Just it seems to make it difficult. And that's from Lucy in uh, West Cork. And Lucy, I remember you well doing your journey across the country for Breakthrough Breast Cancer with your two dogs, if I remember rightly, Wally and Pirate, I think were your, were your two dogs. But I didn't realise that you had that problem, that you had to get somebody to come and collect you to bring you back home. So it, it does look like that it is causing problems for some people. Good to hear from you, Lucy, and hope that you are keeping well. 0818 103 103. We were talking about rents the high cost of rents and how some rent increases are invalid and the message from Threshold, the housing charity. If your landlord looks for an increase, check it out to make sure that it is a valid rent uh, increase. And then I tied it in with a report, new figures just out from the Residential Tenancy uh, Board showing that between April and June of this year, 1,781 renters were given notice to quit and that's compared to 841 during the same period last year. So there's a lot of landlords deciding to get out of the private rental market and they're doing it for a whole variety of different reasons. Now it could be, could have a lot to do with the price of houses and if somebody is considering selling probably now is the best time to uh, sell because it's extremely difficult at the moment for people who are trying to buy buy properties because we know we have house prices rising all the time. But that's prompted a listener to say Hi Patricia, I was listening to your section on rental properties and to be honest says this listener, I don't blame landlords for selling uh, selling up and moving on and because of that we subsequently now have a lack of rental properties. Landlords get treated like they're making a fortune and that to me is just awful. It was stated during your interview with Threshold that 45% of landlords have a mortgage themselves on the property. They are then taxed on their rental income. All the laws seem to be on the side of the tenants and there's no system that if a tenant wrecks a house and the damage that's subsequently done and can be documented, nothing ever happens to the tenant, only for that tenant to then go on and wreck somebody else's property. By the way, I'm not a landlord, says this listener who comes out in defence of landlords and God knows I have spoken with enough landlords over the year years on this programme who share that story, the story of the bad tenants. And there will always be bad tenants who just will not look at a property and see it as their home and that even though they're renting it and they don't own it and will not look after it. And you do get people that wreck it. I mean, only not so long ago, remember we had that dreadful story of the woman who let a dog absolutely destroy an apartment in North Cork. And then she left the dog starved to death. And then when she came back, she put the remains of a dog, the dog in a black plastic bag in a cupboard in the the apartment. And it was months later before the agent managed to get in and the place was destroyed. So yes, I absolutely accept that there are bad tenants. Equally, there are bad landlords landlords unfortunately and we can't tar everybody with the one brush but thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 okay I am not going to a I'm going somewhere else I'm going to a where am I going I'm going here anyway for a start this is a 
dog story. Okay, uh, we're going to Marie in Fomoy. Good morning to Marie. Good morning, Patricia. Now you, you? I'm very well, thank you. You have a dog. You have a dog story and a journey on a bus. I have. It it might it might explain the reason why maybe that dogs are not allowed on buses. Okay. I was walking in Dublin at the time in Minster House, and I was going out for a night out with my buddies, and I was all dolled up and so on and so forth, and got on the bus to get into town, and a man came on with two greyhounds. That's fine. I had no problem with that. He sat be- behind me, and after a while. The two greyhounds got sick. Oh, travel sickness. Travel sickness, yeah. So that was the end of my night out, needless to say. Uh, I had to return home because I was destroyed. They got sick on top of you? Oh, they did, yeah. Oh, Marie. I was sitting right in front of them, you see, and they had their heads up. Your greyhounds are quite tall, as you know. Mm. So (laughs) it projected onto me. So... Uh, that was the end of my night out, as I said. But I was just wondering, what does it have anything to do? Because like some human beings, some dogs are not great travellers. They're absolutely not. And on our vet corner, we often get questions in about dogs and trying to get dogs used to, used to travelling. I hadn't yeah. even thought of a dog getting sick. I did think of a dog <laughs> doing his business. You know, I mean, dogs, yeah. if, dog, if a dog needs to go, a dog well, needs to go. That's more reasonable than getting sick in yeah. itself. Yeah, and, and come here, you were all, you, I'm just thinking of you all dialed up for the night out. I know, I was looking forward to it and I missed my, my chance of uh, meeting a nice man and everything. <laughs> <laughs> was the was the owner of the greyhounds mortified? Not a bit. So what did he say to you? I said, <laughs> well, I was in a state of shock, Patricia, to tell you the truth, because I was looking ahead and the next thing, this thing landed on top of me like a board if you were walking on the street sometimes would hit you with something. With poo and um, I looked, I kind of froze for a minute and then I kind of gathered my thoughts. And I kind of looked back behind me and um, he just kind of got off at the next stop without a buyer relief yeah and did the bus driver say anything to you or the the bus driver I well he had gotten off you see before I was able to get off at the further on stop yeah so, but I did tell the bus driver then because he could see the state of me like. oh, so you were to get off you were to get off the bus then and wait for the bus to come back in the opposite direction to get back exactly oh, <laughs> with everybody looking at you saying could you want yes. all dolled up us after happening to her yes, oh, what, my what kind of a lonely tune is right, so that could be one of the possible reasons why dogs are not allowed on buses in this country for sure alright Marie you listen know, uh, yeah so I mean that, as I said that could be a possibility now I don't know and I take it forevermore when you were on a bus, if a dog did get on, you kept well away from it. I, oh, I kept well away. I was uh, the farthest away from the dog. Yeah, yeah, I can <laughs> But well I couldn't get a taxi either, Patricia, because I was stinking. Well, you couldn't. God, I couldn't see a taxi driver no, pick you up either. No, not at all. But but I wonder because like lots of people are saying, if you're in if you're in England, uh, anywhere in the UK, if you're in mainland Europe people are allowed to bring their dogs but I suppose they, they're they dogs that they know are going yeah, to travel well know. I'm yeah, assuming they yeah. know that these dogs are okay you know yeah. travel yeah I would imagine that to be the case yeah okay alright so, <laughs> a word of warning absolutely don't sit, in front of don't, don't sit near the dogs <laughs> thanks a million Marie have a good day bye bye, bye. bye. Uh, 0818 uh, Pat says Trish I was in London in May and people were allowed to bring their dogs into bars and restaurants 
Uh, it's commonly done in the UK. We're not very dog friendly in this country. Somebody else says there's only enough room on buses for passengers. Buses and trains are extra busy in this country with their summer holidays as more people are travelling. You couldn't possibly consider having dogs allowed onto the buses and trains as well. Someone says the thought of a dog travelling on a bus at the same time as me simply makes me sick. I hope that rule never comes in. Mike in Bantry says there's plenty of room under the bus where the baggage is. Some of that space could be used for carrying dogs says Mike from Bantry. Now would somebody put their much loved pooch into the boot of the bus? Let me know if you would. If that was the only way you were guaranteed that you could travel. Now I'm assuming then you're going to have to have the dog in a pet carrier. You couldn't you couldn't just open the boot and, le- and leave the dog in and say, you know, I'll see you when we arrive at wherever we're going to. But how would people feel about that if the only way you could travel was that your dog travelled in with the luggage in the boot of the um, bus? And she says, hi, Patricia, a lady got on the bus one day with her cat. The bus driver says it has to be in a cage. Yeah, we are waiting for bus Aaron to get back. And I'm imagining that's what we are going to be told because it kind of ties in with what Trish in Blackpool was saying. She has that pet buggy, which is a type of a pet carrier. And I'm assuming that in order to be allowed to travel, if you have appropriate, you know, an enclosed pet carrier case or pet box, I'm imagining that then you would be allowed to travel, but we're just waiting on confirmation and a definite answer back from Bus Aaron. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Bar staff are required for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. CVs, please do info at hibernianhotelmallow.com and please mark it for the attention of Michael, the bar manager. A part-time breakfast cook is wanted for Longerville House in Mallow. Please apply with your CV by emailing to info at longevillehouse.ie or you can uh, post as well to Longerville House if that suits you better. Car mechanics are wanted in Ballymahan in County Longford. CVs to Airside Motor Centre Limited. And ward personnel have vacancies for all types of carpenters. 021 233 9120. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Insurance companies have been accused of failing to pursue fraudulent claims because it is simply too expensive. And this could be one of the reasons that premiums are too high. Peter Boland of the Alliance for Insurance Reform believes the real losers here are the legitimate customers. And did I say Peter Boland uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. Do we have any way of knowing how many fraudulent cases are made every year in this country? Well, we do. And this is one of the benefits, I guess, if you can have it of the, the whole campaign for insurance reform. We're starting to get more data. So the insurers have consistently maintained over the years that about 20% of personal injury claims were 
fraudulent. Uh, and there was really no data to contradict them. But um, since 2019, a new Garda office has been in place, IFCO, the Insurance Fraud Coordination Office. And so all complaints on insurance fraud are sent into them now. And they have specialist abilities to deal with them. So we welcome that at the time. We think it's a terrific initiative. Um, and essentially it called the insurers bluff. Uh, and they have been exposed on this issue. So in the first year that IFCO was up and running, there were 153 uh, reports accepted onto Pulse, the, the Garda uh, system. In 2020, that was down to 120. And last year, it was down to 84, roughly half the figure back in in 2019. So instead of representing that 84, instead of representing 20% rate, uh, as was maintained by insurers, that's actually a quarter of 1% of all personal injury claims. So it's tiny. Uh, and so we have two concerns about that. First of all, uh, we're pretty sure that the level of fraud has been misrepresented over the years. We never really bought the, the 20%. But we know it's higher than a quarter of 1%, and our members consistently talk about this. And we think the gap is because insurers are consistently not pursuing fraudulent claims. They would prefer to settle them, uh, for a sum of money, knowing that they're fraudulent, uh, rather than going to the additional expense of pursuing uh, the report of a fraudulent claim. And because our legal fees are simply too high, is is that one of the reasons why the company that, say that would be an element? It's cheaper yes, to be settle. An element of it is wood, is wood indeed. And of course, there's, there's also the there's also the time element uh, to it. So, um, and the resources element. So. So what we've seen, for example, um, is that uh, the numerous reports have encouraged insurers to take fraud seriously and commit resources to it. And certainly a number of the insurers have done that with quite large uh, fraud departments to detect and report fraud. Uh, but there are other very large operators in this country who have uh, negligible numbers dealing with fraud. We've One that certainly that we came across that only has three employees, uh, despite being a multi-million euro company. Um, and so they're just not taking fraud seriously. And the reality is, as, as you've highlighted already, that it is simpler, easier and cheaper for them to settle the claim and pass the cost on to policyholders uh, rather than pursue the claim. Yeah, and that's what I mentioned earlier. Like, this isn't a victimless crime. We're all paying for it. Absolutely, we're all paying for it. And, and that's the most disappointing element of it because uh, certainly it was used uh, quite regularly as a justification for over-expensive insurance premiums over the, over the years. And uh, that's why it's so frustrating to see these kind of numbers now that they have the opportunity to actually report fraud on. And if fraudsters get away with it, does it lead to copycat cases then? Well, I suppose a couple of elements to that. Um, I, I don't think that Irish people are uh, any more litigious uh, than people in any other country. However, there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and uh, in Ireland in terms of the level of awards uh, and the ease at which uh, with which fraudulent claims can be lodged. So it, essentially it's consequence-free except in a very small number of cases. So you lodge the claim uh, and the worst that can happen is that it's thrown out of court in general. Um, and so... 
clearly that's going to encourage people who are aware of that uh, to consider lodging claims themselves. Yeah, there's no repercussions if somebody is caught out for a fraudulent claim. No, no, and the, and the legislation is there, um, but it's just not used. And you will see reported in the papers, you know, fraudulent cases where people appear to be almost repeat offenders as they seem to be very unlucky. They always seem to be having accidents or falls or, or, or trips. You've got some people making good money out of this. Yeah, well, uh, listen, I, I, I think it is extraordinary how, how unlucky certain people are. And, and families. Gardaí, uh, correct. And Gardaí are wise to this now and uh, the Insurance Fraud Coordination Office have already sent a number of files to the DPP uh, and are pursuing not just uh, certain claimants but also certain solicitors and medical practitioners as well. So uh, they're well aware of it um, but I think we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg and the missing link in all of this is the number of cases being referred on by the insurers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, PIAB, their role is to be enhanced. Can you explain what's happening there? Okay, so PIAB is the first port of call on any personal injury claim. Uh, and essentially, if you've been injured due to the negligence of somebody else, uh, and there's an admit that other party that they were negligent, uh, then the case goes into PIAB, uh, and PIAB uh, will do an assessment um, of the level of damages that's due uh, and then um, publish the assessment to both the, the claimant and the respondent. Uh, and if they're agreed, uh, then the payment is made, and that's the end of that. The real value of PIAB uh, is that it cuts the massive legal fees involved in personal injury claims out of the system. Uh, and so it's a very practical way uh, of getting compensation to people who deserve it, uh, without the, the legal fees attached to it. Um, now, however, uh, PIAB has been fundamentally undermined since it was founded in 2004 by a series of legal challenges by lawyers. Uh, and essentially what that means is that their market share, so to speak, uh, has reduced to about 10% of claims at this stage, with the vast majority of claims going on to litigation, uh, where they're either settled between the insurers and the and the claim, claimant or they go on to court. The big cost to society and policyholders in that is that as soon as it leaves PIAB and goes to litigation, uh, you're talking legal fees, uh, averaging about 15,000 for minor motor injuries uh, and uh, even more uh, for minor personal injury claims uh, tied into liability insurance. So there's a big cost to society if it doesn't stay with PIAB. And government have recognised this and they've put a piece of legislation in place or they're, it's on its way through the doll now, uh, which will see the responsibilities of PIAB broadened quite substantially uh, to include injuries that they previously didn't cover uh, and also to give them the opportunity to mediate um, to try to explain to plaintiffs uh, why it's in their better interest to accept the claim. Because as we've spoken about before, uh, when a case leaves PIAB and goes to litigation, typically claimants for minor injuries don't get any more money. Yes, yeah, so, so there's no, I can never understand why people, plaintiffs, don't accept the offer from PIA because in, in the majority of cases they don't get a lot more by going to court. Well, we 
we would certainly, in our experience, um, the only counsel that plaintiffs have typically is their legal counsel. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's very much in the lawyer's interest uh, for that case to go on to litigation because that's when they get the fees. Well, they'll say that's their job. Oh, that's what they're, they're in the in the business to do it. They're so, in the business of litigation. So there's going to be mediation, which will like because and obviously it takes longer if you decide to go to court versus accepting what you would have got from PIAP. There's a there's a couple of years of a gap there. Well, there's there's the mad thing about it. Not only are you not getting any more money, but you're getting it over two years slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the mediation will explain to people because there's that fear factor that people don't fully understand what's going on with PIAP. Is it? Well, we would expect uh, that mediation will do just that uh, and explain the black and white of the situation from the point of view of a plaintiff. So we would hope that in due course, mediation would mean that more PIAB assessments uh, are accepted uh, by the plaintiffs. And typically it's the plaintiff that rejects the assessment um, and that we end up with more cases staying at PIAB uh, and less legal fees being um been uh, taken on by by policy holders. Did I also are, are PIA are they going to change their name as well? Did I read that somewhere? To the PIRB, the <laughs> Personal Injuries Resolution Board. So yes. we won't have PIAP. Can you, can you, how, how are we going to pronounce that one? Uh, so it's the PIRB is what it's going to be. I haven't quite worked out the per, pronunciation per, yet. Per, per, but, okay. but it does reflect uh, a change in its role in that they won't just be doing assessments now. Uh, they'll be uh, attempting to resolve the claims uh, within PIAB rather than going out into the litigation area. OK, and hopefully all of that uh, should help. And overall, insurance costs are going up or down, Peter? OK, so motor going down. Um, and if any of your listeners are uh, due to renew in the near future, they should be expecting uh, at least a 10% reduction on the basis of what we're seeing. Um, assuming that nothing has changed in terms of the make, the model, uh, or their own personal circumstances. So that's going in the right direction, albeit that we would argue it's not going fast enough or deep enough. Um, on liability, the story is entirely different. So what our members are seeing is premiums still rising, and that's despite the fact that the same circumstances apply to liability insurance as apply to motor insurance. So we continue to call on government's to move much faster on this. They have uh, an office within the Department of Finance charged with getting additional competition in. As we see it, the big difference between motor and liability insurance is that there's more competition in the motor sector. There's just not enough of it in liability and we need more underwriters in and uh, government has a role to play in that. So we would call on Minister Fleming, who's the minister directly responsible, and his department to, to move faster on getting new insurers in. Yeah, 100%. That's what we need. OK, listen, Peter, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Chris. Good morning to you. That is uh, Peter Boland, who is with the Alliance for Insurance Reform. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Our citizens' information uh, slot this month is to do with flights and your consumer rights. And joining me is George Ford, who's the information officer with South Munster Citizen Information Centre. Good morning to you, George. 
Morning, Patricia. And uh, firstly, are you, what's happening at Citizens Information? Are you opened, have you opened the drop-in or are you still doing your services over the phone? Yes, we're still uh, mainly providing our service by phone, but we are also seeing people by appointment in the local centres. And as usual, we just ask people to give us a call first, um, just as it's not always possible to see them if they present for a walk-in. But for example, in Formoy, you can just drop in, but I might be with a client. So if you're travelling any distance, just give us a call first. And if anyone needs a face-to-face appointment, we'll do our best to uh, facilitate it. And at the moment, our offices in Mallow, Formoy, Yall and Bantry are set up to meet people. OK, let's uh, know that we've got a lot to get through today. So let's uh, yeah. fingers crossed we'll get through it all. We're seeing and hearing yeah. about a lot of people who have booked flights to go on holidays and they seem to be having a lot of difficulty. Either a flight is cancelled or it's, uh, it's delayed. What protection is out there for these people, George? OK, so air passengers have very specific consumer rights under European law. Um, And those rights vary from rights in relation to cancelled flights or long flight delays or denied boarding and downgrading. Okay, start with the cancelled flights. Okay, so if your flight is cancelled, regardless of when you're notified of the cancellation, your air carrier must offer you the choice between one of the following. So one is rerouting as close as possible to the original departure time, two, rerouting at a later date, or three, a refund of the cost of the unused flight ticket. And your entitlements will vary on when you were notified about the cancellation. So, for example, if you receive less than seven days notice of the cancellation and you chose option one and were given rerouting, which departed no more than one hour before your original departure time, and you arrived no more than two hours after the original arrival time, then you're not entitled to compensation from the air carrier. Uh, however, if you chose option one and were given rerouting outside of those time frames, you're entitled to compensation unless the air carrier can prove the cancellation was caused by extraordinary circumstances. And consumers should remember that if they choose to be rerouted as soon as possible using option one, then the air carrier must provide you with care and assistance while you're waiting on your alternative flight. And care and assistance then would consist of meals and refreshments, hotel accommodation if necessary, transport between the airport and the hotel if necessary and two telephone calls or emails and if the airline doesn't provide the above assistance to the person then um, you'd be forced to make your own arrangements and it's very important to retain all your receipts as you'll be entitled to reimbursement for your expenses and then if a person received between seven days and two weeks notice of the cancellation and you chose option one and were given a rerouting which departed no more than two hours before the original departure time and you arrive no more than four hours after the original arrival time, then you're not entitled to any compensation from the air carrier. But finally on that, if you chose option one for rerouting um, and it was outside of those timeframes, then you are entitled to compensation unless the air carrier can prove the cancellation was caused by extraordinary circumstances. And if you received more than two weeks' notice of cancellation, you're not entitled to compensation from the air carrier. Now, we would also remind people that where a town, city or region is served by several airports and your air carrier offers to reroute you to a different one, then it must bear the cost of your transport from that alternative airport to the original one. 
Yeah, and that's important because a lot of the cities across Europe, I mean, London is an obvious one. There's a lot of other airports outside of, say, Heathrow, uh, but there can be a good distance away. So that's important to note that they've got to get you from whatever airport you were meant, you landed into the one you should have landed in. OK, can you explain the different rights a consumer has if you're denied boarding on a flight? Okay, so there's two types of denied boarding. There is involuntarily being denied boarding and voluntarily. So with involuntarily denied boarding, that happens if your air carrier refuses to allow you on board your flight, even though you pose no health or safety or security risk to the air carrier and you arrived at the airport with your confirmed reservation, the travel documentation required to complete your journey and sufficient time to check in, go through security and go through boarding procedures. And where involuntary uh, denied boarding occurs, the air carrier must offer you the choice between rerouting as soon as possible or rerouting at a later date at your convenience and a refund of the full cost of the unused flight ticket. Um, and then if you do choose to be rerouted as soon as possible, then the air carrier must provide you with care and assistance while you're waiting on your alternative flight. And once again, care and assistance is meals and refreshments, hotel accommodation if necessary, and transport between the airport and the hotel, and two telephone calls or emails as well. And if the airline does not provide um, a person with any of the assistance we've just described there, and you're forced to make your own arrangements, again, just retain all your receipts as you will be able to uh, claim reimbursement at a later stage. And the air carrier must also compensate you for... um, involuntary denying you the boarding and the amount of that compensation will depend depending on the distance um, of your journey and the time frames within which you were rerouted. Okay, that's involuntary. Then there's a voluntary denied yeah. boarding. What does that mean? So voluntary then is if your flight, for example, is overbooked, uh, then the air carrier can call for volunteers to surrender their seats in exchange for certain benefits. And if you agree to give up your seat, you are considered to be voluntarily denied boarding. And in addition to the benefits we just mentioned before, the air carrier must offer you the choice between rerouting as soon as possible, rerouting at a later date at your convenience, and a refund of the full cost of the unused unused flight tickets. And then it's up to you what benefits you agree with the air carrier. So usually they'll give something extra as a golden handshake or a sweetener mm. as such. Yeah, I had, I had a friend of mine who was asked to uh, step off. It was a flight uh, going to Australia. She was going to Sydney and they she only had to wait an hour for the next flight. They were overbooked on that one and she got upgraded to business class. She said it was well worth waiting the extra the extra hour. OK, yeah. but that's negotiated with the individual carrier. OK, what, what we're hearing a lot about flights being delayed, George. OK, so it's a bit technical, but... If your flight is delayed beyond certain time frames, the air carrier should provide you with written information about your entitlements and also what care and assistance you're going to receive. So the time frames will be as follows. So for all flights less than 1,500 kilometres, so a short haul flight, the delay must be greater than two hours. And for European flights more than 1,500 kilometres and all other flights between 1,500 and 3,500 kilometres, so medium haul flights, the delay must be greater than three hours. And for all non-community flights more than 3,500 kilometres, so a long-haul flight, the delay must be greater than four hours. And if your flight is delayed by more than five hours, regardless of the length of the journey, and you decide not to travel, 
you're entitled to a full refund. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. And then when we talk of care and assistance, is, is that what you were talking about with meals and refreshments? Yeah, so that's very standard. So it's the meals and refreshments, the hotel accommodation, <clears throat> excuse me, if necessary, and transfer between the uh, airport and the hotel and the two telephone calls and emails. And keep your uh, receipts if you've got to arrange because I saw a number of people on Twitter having to arrange hotel accommodation themselves, mm-hmm. but keep your receipts. Then when you talk about compensation, how is that determined? Okay, so there was a 2009 European Court ruling on it and you're now entitled to compensation if you arrive at your destination three hours or more after the scheduled arrival time unless, again, they can prove that the delay was the result of extraordinary circumstances. And if a dispute arises between you and your air carrier regarding the existence of extraordinary circumstances and the payment of compensation, the matter should be referred to the appropriate enforcement body. And in Ireland, that's the Commission for Aviation Regulation. Now, the amount of compensation payable, it depends on the distance of the flight. So, for example... If it's a short-haul flight, the amount of compensation payable is €250 per person. If it's medium-haul, the payable is €400 per person. Or if it's long-haul, the amount payable is €600 per person. Um, However, the amount of compensation payable in respect of non-community flights of more than 3,500 kilometres long-haul, that may be reduced by 50% if you arrive at your destination less than four hours after the scheduled arrival time. Okay, and how does somebody determine if it's short, medium or long haul? Okay, so the law states that when calculating the distance of a flight, you must use the great circle method. Uh, And this method is traditionally used across the aviation sector to determine the distance between two airports. And consumers can view the great circle website where they can calculate the distance of their own flight. That website is just gcmap.com. And just some examples of the different flight types would be like, so short haul would be like Cork to Paris, Shannon to Brussels, or medium haul then would be Cork to Rome or Dublin to Malta, or long haul would be then our Shannon to New York or Dublin to San Francisco. Yeah, or the one I mentioned if you're going all the way to Australia. Okay, we'll talk about passports on another day, George, because you want to give a shout out. There is a job available in the Mallow Citizens Information Um, Centre. Yeah, so we have a part-time position available in our Mallow Citizens Information Centre for a receptionist and administrator. It's available under a CE scheme. And if anybody is interested, we'd be really appreciative if they would contact Paul Fleming in Avenue Blackwater. And his number is 086-037-4367. Or they could just email him at paul at avenueblackwater.com. And then if anyone has any questions about actually qualifying for a community employment scheme, they can just call us directly on our own phone number. Okay, well done, well done. And for any of you, we gave a lot of information there about flights and consumer rights. Uh, People can contact, where can people contact you? Um, Yep, they can contact us in Fermoy on 0818-077970, Mallow on 0818-078000 or Bantry on 0818-078390. And we're happy to take calls at any time and we'll try and guide people in the right direction in relation to flights or anything else they've questioned. Okay, all right. But compensation, the most important thing is that compensation is available. I think people, but you need to go and apply for it yourself. I think that's the big one. The airline aren't going to be handing the compensation out to you. You need to apply for it. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And if there's any disputes and they need to 
check distances, check the amount of compensation, give us a call and we'll point them in the right direction with all of that. Okay, well Well done. You're a mine of information as always, George. Thank you for that and we'll chat again uh, in the coming weeks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, George Ford and George is the Information Officer with South Munster Citizens Information Service covering North and uh, East County uh, Cork. We'll have more from the Citizens Information Centre again next month. Now we are coming up to news at 12 midday. A reminder to you that it is Monday. So that means Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, will be joining us on the programme. If you have a question for Annalise, need you to get the questions in now, please. You can call John Paul. He's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Or you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103103 your nutritional uh, questions coming in and as we head to news at 12 midday on a glorious day weather wise and it's going to be great weather for the rest of the week a reminder to you that we're bringing all of the festival headliners to your back garden this year C103's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online with Harvey Norman and JBL your specialist in sound this summer and if you're having a barbecue any day this week this will be the perfect perfect music for you. You can listen on our app or you can go to c103.ie Court Today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie You're listening to Court Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. When we were talking about insurance and the rising cost of insurance, even though good to hear from Peter Boland and uh, good advice for anybody. If your car insurance premium uh, it comes in, you, we, you should see a reduction, but 10%, uh, he reckons. So if you get your renewal and there's no reduction on it, start querying it. Or as we say to everybody, with any kind of insurance shop around, you'll be surprised at how much money you can save if you put the time and the effort in to doing a little bit of uh, shopping around. But that's prompted one listener to say, why can't we simply get insurance from any any other European country. At the end of the day, we are a member of the EU. That's what they can do in other parts of Europe. Why are we not allowed to do so by our government? Yeah, we have our own rules and regulations on it, even though, again, Peter Boland is saying they're going to bring more competition in, and that's what we need. Uh, Certainly for businesses and for public liability insurance, there's many, many industries are caught in that they might only have one person supplying insurance to a particular industry. And then, of course, there's no no choice to shop around. You have to accept whatever premium you, you get in. And remember... High insurance costs in, in this country within the business community is one of the reasons that we are paying more for everything because the cost of doing business in this country is rising all the time. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons why cost of doing business is going up, but one of them, every business will point to our insurance costs and that their insurance premiums are rising year on year. So we all suffer if we don't have a good, strong insurance industry in this country that's offering good value for money. So good to hear Peter saying that there is talk of more competition and maybe with more competition should come a lowering of premiums. And then obviously if businesses get lower insurance premiums, they will be able to pass on those savings on to uh, customers. And actually just on cost of doing business and everybody talking about the cost of living and everybody noticing the soaring costs, even for things like the essentials, if you're out buying food, fuel has started to come down. Are you noticing that when you're passing 
uh, garages, forecourts coming down slowly, slowly coming down, not coming down quick enough, I think, for a lot of people, as somebody pointed out last week when they noticed that fuel had gone under the two euro a litre at mark and you know it's slowly starting to come down it seems to go up much quicker but seems to be much much slower when it's coming back down and we know that on the world market the price of a barrel of oil is at the lowest now as as it was before Russia invaded Ukraine and yet we're paying way more at the pumps than what we were paying at that time but they usually say when the barrel of oil comes down the world market it takes about three weeks for us to feel the knock-on at the petrol pump. So keep a lookout at the, at the four courts. The prices should continue to come down. But there's a new report out. This is from Revolut, which has... I, I'm, I'm really taken aback at this. Revolut now has more than 1.9 million Irish customers. It's one of those cards that really has taken off in this country. And they regularly look at... Obviously, they can look at their 1.9 million customers to see... How are people spending money? Where are people spending money? Are they spending more on food? Are they spending less on fuel? What are they doing with holidays? Are they spending money on holidays? So it's always good to look at look at a company like this that has so many customers in this country. So taking a look at the latest report out from uh, Revolut of their almost 2 million customers in this country, they say grocery spending was down 4% in the month of July uh, versus uh, where it was in July of last year. And that now is suggesting that many customers are either purchasing less when they go to do their grocery shopping or else they're opting to go with the cheaper items. Now, we've seen a number of reports that's showing people are going for the cheaper items. People before would always go for a branded good and suddenly people are looking at the own brand, the, the supermarket's own brand product and going, well, that's cheaper. In some cases, it can be half the price. They're giving it a try and finding that the quality is this good and they're sticking with it instead. So it could be a combination of either people are buying less at the supermarket or else people are still buying the same amount, but they're going for the cheaper brands, which means that they are saving in their purse instead. Now, the number of people dining out increased in the month of July. This certainly is good news for the restaurant sector. So it's up in the month of July compared to the number of people that went out for food in uh, June, spending on restaurants up over 11%. Revolut pointed to changing attitudes as budgets are stretched, with more consumers willing to cut back on essentials in order to put a little bit of the side so they can socialise and that they can go out to a restaurant, they can go out, maybe save some money uh, to go on a holiday instead. Customers we spent 3.9% more on fuel in July. Now, that's got to be uh, because of the rising cost of uh, fuel. And customers also spent more on holidays in the month of July. Now, again, you'd say, well, July is traditionally the month that people go away on holidays. Despite the ongoing reports of airport disruption, airline spending was up nearly 14 percent compared to this time last year. Again, there was a lot of restrictions still in place, so I'm not really surprised by that. But cruise line spending was up over 50 percent on the same period last year. So that certainly is one industry that I think a lot of people thought that they would struggle to get people to go back to trusting the cruises again. And I think because at the start of the pandemic, do you remember the people that were stuck on cruise ships because there was an outbreak of COVID and then they weren't allowed to dock anywhere? And there was horror stories coming out from some cruise lines and everyone was saying that industry will really struggle to get back on track. So it's looking like it is back on track. And certainly we're hearing of ones coming in here to uh, Cork and they're all full and people are very happy to be back on their cruise liners again. 
so up by over 50% uh, percent over last year. Accommodation at hotels and resorts proving to be in very, very hot demand. Spending in, uh, in hotels and resorts, wait for this, is up a staggering 80% compared to July of 2021. However, holidaymakers look set to try and make some savings when they do go away because airport spending was down. We're spending 11% less when we arrive at the airport and duty-free purchases also down by 18.8%. After a couple of years of restricted travel, consumers are looking for a summer getaway. However, they're being very, very careful with how they're spending their hard-earned cash. What we seem to be doing now is focusing the money on the hotel and on the flight, on the actual booking. But then when people get to the airport, they're either packing their own small little lunch with them instead, but they're certainly avoiding the shops. That's according to Revolut. The report also attributed a decline of clothing spending. That's um, down. People seem to be putting their money aside in order to travel, so they're spending less on clothes. Also down uh, cinema sports clubs and art galleries that all took a little bit of a dip in July over where it was in June and over where it was at this time last year but people certainly are getting away I thought when I saw that the airport spending uh, was down by 11% this would be at the you know the the bars and the the restaurants and the coffee shops at the airport. I wonder as well, and of course Revolut would have no way of knowing this, I wonder how much of that was down to the queues because certainly at Dublin Airport, and I was in Dublin Airport earlier on in the the summer and queuing up to try and get breakfast was an absolute nightmare and you could see people, you know, looking at their watch while they were standing in the queue. You could see some people leaving the queue who would normally have spent and bought their breakfast probably because they were afraid they were going to miss their flight and they headed to the gate instead. So I don't know how much of the airport spending is down to that uh, or not but certainly duty free spending down uh, as well but people are being frugal when they're going to the shops but it is looking like people are still spending money on holidays this year 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See Cork Coco Volunteers are urgently needed for the NCBI charity shop in Skibbereen. Please call in to the National Council for the Blind's charity shop if you can help out or you can email shopvolunteer at ncbi.ie. Even if you can only do an hour or two a week or even a month, they'd love to hear from you. Uh, an exhibition entitled Souls of Our Shoes not a great name for an exhibition uh, in the west wing of the Carrick Centre in Balancolic will be in place for the month of August. It aims to highlight the stories of people who've experienced physical or emotional abuse the doors will open from 10am to 4pm every day throughout the month of uh, August that's in the west wing of the Carrick Centre in Balancolic. Cork craft and design their annual showcase exhibition will be held in the old mill in castletown roach now it runs until the 28th of august their opening hours are thursday to sundays included from 10 a.m to 5 p.m bingo continues in bottom and it's on tonight eight o'clock jackpot there four thousand three hundred euro and everyone very welcome to attend. And Ballonhassey Community Development Association, they're holding a clothes collection in the Marion Hall in Ballonhassey during the month of August. It's to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park. 
bags can be dropped from August the 9th, which is tomorrow, through to August the 27th on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 7pm to 8.30pm, and then Saturdays from half past two until four in the afternoon. Used rewearable clothing, please. Shoes, bags, towels, sheets, blankets, curtains and duvet covers. But no duvets and no pillows, please. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Elise will be joining us in a couple of minutes. But I've got Olivia on the phone line who comes in praise of Mallow General Hospital. Good afternoon to you, Olivia. Hi, how are you, Patricia? I, I'm very well. And you're joining us actually from your hospital bed. So I really do uh, appreciate that. So firstly, are you doing OK? Is everything all right? I am. I'm getting much better, thank God. Yeah. You're on the road um, to recovery. Every day is a bonus. So yes, hopefully on the road to recovery. OK, take me back. It was the start of July and you were away on holidays. Yes. Um, so I was away with my husband and my two children um, on holidays in Spain. And um, we went out for something to eat around the, the fourth day of the last week of the holiday. And um, just did whatever I ate, just didn't agree with me. And um, I got really, um, I suppose, sick with diarrhea um, and had it for the whole duration of the rest of the holiday and two weeks when I came home. And nothing um, worse than being away on holidays and feeling that unwell. Yes. Now, I didn't feel very unwell, but I just, I suppose it was constant. So I was probably losing a lot of um, nutrients and things like that, but I didn't take any notice until we came home and um, it continued. And then um, two weeks I was going to work and coming to and from work and um, just it was continuous. And the doctor, I went to the doctor and the doctor treated me for food poisoning um, or a bug that I may have picked up on holidays. And I suppose it all kicked off then on the July 18th, the Monday morning. Um, I got up to go to work and was unable to get, well, I got to work, but I had to leave early because I was very sick and dehydrated, high temperature, um, no energy. And um, then that week I was in bed, just couldn't really get out of bed. And uh, the doctor said she would um, give me a referral letter to the CUH um, to be seen in the CUH because of my temperature and dehydration and things like that. Um, and my husband uh, woke up Friday morning and I told him I had to get to a hospital. Um, I didn't think I was going to get to the CUH because it was too far away. Um, so he rang Mallow General um, at half past six Friday morning and spoke to Adrian, a fantastic guy here. And he said to get a referral letter straight away in and they would see me here in Mallow. And at this stage, and the, you're, you're, yeah, and at, at this stage, the fear factor was, uh, and you know, nothing against CUH, but the fear factor is no. you'll get on a trolley and you'll be left on a trolley uh, while they're trying to get a bed yes. for you. Yeah, and that obviously was going Over through your weekend. mind and your husband's mind, was it? Yes, yeah. yeah. So he really kind of knew that it wouldn't work, and by the time I got to CUH, probably I would have been really, really sick. So when I arrived here, um. It was all very immediate, very instant. Um, they took me in straight away, did all the assessments, took bloods, um, sent me for a CT scan. And by Friday evening, they more or less knew what, what the result was going to be. Um, I had to go for a colonoscopy on the Tuesday. And um, yeah, that whole weekend, I would have been really sick, uh, vomiting and just constant diarrhea um, in and out of the toilet constantly. Um, very high temperature, really sick. 
and they've just been exceptional and that's what I really I, I suppose the reason why I wanted to speak to you was because I know they you know the HSE and the healthcare system is always slated and we all nobody has a good thing to say about it but Mallow General has been absolutely amazing yeah, I, it, it's incredible. In my when, road to yeah, recovery. Yeah, it's incredible whenever we hear from people who have occasion to go into Mallow Hospital. And I can openly say as well, I get I get the very same calls from people who end up with, in Bantry Hospital, which is the equivalent of Mallow Hospital, but, but in West Cork. Yes. Uh, people just talk about the level of care and the level of compassion by the staff. Yeah, absolutely. From the catering staff to the care assistants, um, to the cleaning staff, they're like they're looking out for me every day. They're bringing in fresh water. I struggled drinking water at the start, so one of the ladies got me um, flavored water that wasn't full of sugar, so that I'd drink more water. Um, they're monitoring my food, what I can eat, what I can't eat, what you know, extra little bits that I can I can eat with what I have, um, and they're really looking after me so well. It's fantastic, and the nurses, the doctors, they've just been by my side through the whole thing are you allowed, morning noon and night are you allowed visitors I am at six o'clock my husband comes over and then I go out during the day to see my two my daughter and my son do you okay. um, they come over outside so I'm able to go out and visit them as well but, but you know sometimes you know I know we all complain about and, and a lot of people get very upset that they can't visit in hospitals and all of that but sometimes I feel when somebody is as unwell as you've described you really wouldn't have been up for a load of visitors around the bed between two and four no, any afternoon. No, definitely not. Yeah. No. Okay. I mean, last, let's say a week or two ago, I didn't want to see anyone, only only my husband, because I was so sick. Mm. Just to have someone there that I could see, but I didn't want anyone else. But then the staff then just kept me going and they they kept your spirits up and the chat and just, oh, they're just exceptional. And you've been in since the 22nd of July? Yes, yeah. Wow. And any indication on when you'll be let out home, Olivia? Uh, hopefully, well, the doctor came in today now hoping that he said maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. So I'm oh, hoping for Wednesday. And you, you're feeling, you're, yeah. you're, I can hear it in your voice. You're, you're, you're feeling much better. Much better. My God, yeah. So, so different compared to last week. It's amazing. Right. It's amazing what the doctors can do and the nurses can do. And um, it's just lovely to give a bit of gratitude back to them yeah, when they, they probably don't shine as much as they should. 100%. And I know, you know, the likes of the city hospitals, they're just so busy. The nurses and the doctors, they do the very best that they can. But it's it's that, they one, do. that one-on-one care, that additional piece of, like that, the simple one, like somebody thinking, well, I'll try and get her some flavoured water to see if that will work to help her to, to, yeah. to drink more. You know, in a busy environment, you know, while somebody might think of it, but they might have the time to go away and do it. It's the smaller exactly. hospitals. We need to have more of these smaller hospitals. We do. Giving that kind of Absolutely. care. Absolutely. And more resources put into them to keep them going. So you will be flying the flag for Mallow General Hospital, I think, forevermore. Absolutely, <laughs> for the rest of my life. Absolutely. <laughs> well done, well done. How And the, 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 the kids, it's tough on the kids as well. You've been in hospital so long. It is, it is. But my mum is great. Is they're she? up in Cork with my mum now this week and um, she's keeping them going. So um, they're being well looked after and they come home then for training and they're just happy that I'm being well looked after. So they're 
they're happy until I come back. And they'll want you. Full of beans. They'll want Mammy home. They'll want Mammy, mammy home. Listen, they will. thrilled to be able to, to have you on the programme this morning, Olivia, and good to know that you're on the road uh, to recovery. And once again, well done to everybody in Mallow General Hospital, from the first person you met on the way in to everybody you've met along the way. Listen, good health Absolutely, to you, Olivia. Yes. Thanks a million, Patricia. God bless. God bless. Uh, Take care. That is uh, Olivia, as I say, flying the flag and just saying how great the the gang are at Mallow General Hospital. And I know if I was to speak to somebody in a bed in Bantry Hospital, I'd have a similar story. They really are terrific. And that's why we get so annoyed and we get up on our soapbox and we rant and we rave whenever there is any threat of a mention to any closure at either of our two hospitals, be it ba- Ma- Mallow or Bantry. So everybody in our local hospitals, please take a bow. You are incredible, incredible people and we just want to publicly acknowledge it. 0818103103. As I mentioned, we'll be having Annalise Dressel on the programme in a couple of minutes. So keep your questions coming in for Annalise. But just I spotted a piece this morning because often on our piece with Annalise, people will talk about diabetes and being diagnosed with diabetes and unfortunately there has been an increase of people being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes now if that's probably very much tied in with the fact that unfortunately we are seeing more and more people being diagnosed with obesity and the knock-on effect is that that can uh, not in all cases but it can lead to type 2 diabetes so I spotted a piece it's research that's come out actually from the university from researchers in the University of Limerick that going for a short walk after a meal can actually reduce our blood sugar and lower the risk of any of us developing type 2 diabetes. Setting off on a walk after eating is optimum because it brings the sugar levels, which are typically obviously at a peak if you've just eaten your dinner or your lunch or whatever uh, ever it is, and it allows the muscles then to soak up the fuel from the food. People should aim for a 15-minute stroll, but they're saying even a mini walk of between two and five minutes will also offer some benefit. Because I know I'm thinking of people going... I barely have time to eat my lunch, whereas could I factor in a 15 minute walk after it in the same after dinner? Don't often be able to do it. So if you're, you're one of those people, don't have enough hours in the day, even a two to five minute walk will do it. As I say, the research was conducted at the University of uh, Limerick and they looked at seven studies that compared the effects of sitting straight after you've had your meal versus standing or walking and they measured it on heart health and obviously they included insulin and blood sugar levels and they found that light walking after a meal had a significant impact in moderating blood sugar levels. In five of the studies, none of the participants had pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes, but the remaining two looked at a mix of people with and without the illness. Participants were asked to either stand or walk for between two and five minutes and they were to do it every 20 to 30 minutes over the course of the day. All seven studies showed that just a few minutes of light intensity walking after a meal were enough to significantly improve blood sugar levels compared to having your dinner and just sitting down after it. When participants did this, their blood sugar levels rose and then they fell more gradually. Avoiding sharp fluctuations in blood sugar levels obviously is critical for patients who are managing diabetes. Sharp fluctuations are also thought to contribute to the development of type 2 diabetes. Even just standing up helped lower blood sugar levels, although not as much as if you do a little bit of light walking. And it's because light walking 
obviously requires more active engagement of the muscles than standing and it uses the sugar uh, that they are circulating. It's all in the bloodstream. And so they're even saying to people who maybe will be having lunch and you're listening to us at work and you're at lunch and you're, you're in wherever you wherever you work and you're not going to be able to get out for a walk even just walking up and down the corridors work they're saying for between two and five minutes you know take that stroll down down the corridor go visit somebody in another office but just get a bit of movement after you've eaten your fruit and it is all showing thanks to the researchers at the University of Ireland that it can lower your risk of developing type 2 diabetes and help you with your fight against diabetes 0818103103 let's take a break and back with Annalise Trussell. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolly joining me and there's so many questions uh, coming in. Good afternoon to you Annalise. Good afternoon Patricia. Let's get straight into it including one listener who is currently texting us from her hospital bed uh, is in hospital with a nasty chest infection and clots in both lungs. Not doing well. I'm on a double dose of IV antibiotics etc. What would Annalise recommend to build myself up when I come out of hospital after all of the antibiotics and everything? So there'd be definitely a few things I'd recommend there. The first thing I would recommend probably is a kind of a tonic, really, just to build your energies up again. So I'd either, in probably depending on how quickly you have to get back to work, the source of life gold is always great to give you a great energy kick. But if you have time to kind of recuperate, I think the Oxylent might be a nice option as well as a good tonic and multivitamin, especially if your appetite is poor. Um, and that'll just make sure that you're topping up on all your vitamins and minerals. For the chest then, Patricia, I definitely recommend the NAC. Um, now, again, if this lady wants to give the shop a ring, if she's coming home on lots of medication uh, for her for the clots on her lungs, she can ring us and we'll make sure that it's okay to take with her medication. But NAC is wonderful for anything in the lungs and it's also a great natural antioxidant. So it's a brilliant natural anti-inflammatory and it does help boost the immune system function as well. And then the last thing I'd recommend there is a probiotic because all the good bacteria will have been killed off and getting the gut right is the first thing in, in, in terms of health. If your gut's working, then everything else that tends to fall in line. So BioCult is a lovely one and Nature's Plus do a great one called uh, Immune uh, Multibiome. And that's a fantastic one. There's 18 different strains of bacteria in there. So in your health shop, you'll be able to get a good broad spectrum probiotic to recover after an antibiotic. Okay, talking of a purchase in a health shop, Mary and Charlotte was on. She suffers from restless legs. And actually, there's a couple of other causes in asking for advice on restless legs. Uh, She got magnesium muscle, but it doesn't say how much she's to take or what time to take it. And she doesn't want to overtake it. Can you talk about a product called magnesium muscle? Okay, I wonder is that the Nutri-Advanced Mega Mag Muscle Ease, which is uh, one that we sell here in the shop. It's actually a practitioner supplement, so she would have had to get it here. Yeah, I think, yeah, John yeah. Paul said she got so, it in your shop, yeah. Yes, so a scoop, one scoop dissolved in some water. And I'd suggest that she takes it after her breakfast in the morning because um, it'll work its way through her system throughout the day. And that's a blend of lots of different nutrients that are all beneficial for muscle health and proper muscle signaling so that it avoids cramping and it is one of the best supplements that we have in the shop we generally start people off on that restless legs can also be a side effect of um, 
a, B, a vitamin B deficiency and also a side effect of iron deficiency. So get those checked at um, your doctor's. A regular blood test will show those up. Um, and generally, the first thing that we recommend, if it's neither of those, is magnesium. That Nutri-Advanced Mega Mag Muscle Yeast is absolutely wonderful as a product. And if that doesn't work, then I generally say to people to ask their doctor to prescribe quinine. Quinine tablets, which is the quinine you get in the tonic for gin and tonic, it can also help hugely with restless legs. Uh, but it has to be gotten on prescription. Okay, now back to COVID-related issues. So there's a week goes by that we don't get something to do with COVID. Uh, good morning, please. Question for Annalise. Is there anything that could help my 15-year-old, please? He had COVID at the end of June and he got a pretty bad skin rash reaction with the COVID. Red scaly patches the size of nuts all over his scalp, face, torso, arms and legs. Now it cleared up with ointment that was prescribed by the GP but it took approximately three to four weeks and we thought that was it. However, in the last few days it suddenly started to flare up again. I'm at a loss as to how it can totally be gone and in the space of a few hours reappear so angry and raw looking. Is there anything that Annalise would advise for this, please? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Patricia, because we have seen people with the rashes post-COVID or post-COVID vaccine. Um, there is a theory that the um, that there's something called mast cell activation syndrome. Um, mast cells are the cells in our body that are responsible for the symptoms of allergic reactions. And there is a syndrome called mast cell activation syndrome where some people, those cells are very unstable and they constantly split open and create all the symptoms of allergic reaction, albeit runny nose, runny eyes, sneezing, rashes. And there is a lot of similarities between COVID and this mast cell activation syndrome. And we don't know enough about it yet, but there is a theory that possibly there is some effect on the mast cells. So what you're looking at really is natural products that stabilise the mast cells. And you're talking about quercetin being the main one. It's spelled Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. And you take it as a supplement. Zinc is another good one to add in with that because that just helps to get it into the cells. Um, stinging nettle can help as well in that it can help reduce um, histamine in the system. And vitamin C is also a good natural antihistamine. What I'd probably recommend is go and take a course of over-the-counter antihistamines for a week and then just use um, like the cream that they were um prescribed Patricia was probably corsone cream and in the long term that doesn't isn't good for skin so I'd recommend something um, like maybe the Dr. Claire anti-itch cream is great just to help with the external symptoms of the rash and try the antihistamine for a week and if that seems to be working then get yourself a natural antihistamine and take a course of it for two to three months. Okay, and then staying on COVID-related issues, Teresa was on to say she had COVID back in February, all of the usual symptoms. But she says about a week and a half after the COVID, she woke with what she described as blocked ears. She doesn't know if it was related or not to the COVID. She could hear what people were saying, but she said she just knew that her hearing wasn't right. She went to the doctor who thought it was something to do with the membrane of her ear looking curved but was, she was diagnosed with fluid collecting in her inner ear. It ended up being very uncomfortable. It eventually did clear and she's been to an ear consultant who said she's fine now, but her fear is she suffers from what she says is a lot of mucus at the back of her nose. She's due to fly the first week in September. She's nervous now that flying and how that might affect her ears. Would you suggest anything that might help her? 
Yeah, okay. So, yes, and actually she's right. Her ears are probably now more likely to suffer from the popping. So what I would suggest, and again, this is just my opinion now as opposed to a medical certainty, I'd take all precautions to kind of prevent the build-up of mucus so that the back of the ears are as clear as possible. Um, so I would take um, the Dr. Clare Mucotone or the Dr. Clare Congestion Bend, and I would take that for at least the full week before going to make sure that you and I would also avoid dairy, Patricia, because what you're really trying to do is you're trying to prevent the buildup of mucus. Because if mucus gets trapped in the inner, that's where trouble can start by feeling blocked ears and also it can get infected and cause ear infections. So that could be a result of being on a plane. And then when you're on the plane, really it's about making sure that you're, you know, you're pressure, re- depressurizing your ears. So sucking on a sweet, of course, is what they say, but the best way to do it is what the divers do, which is to block your nose and very gently try and blow air through your nose and that will help clear the pressure in your ears. And you need to be doing that every few minutes, really throughout the whole flight, whether you feel you need to or not, just to prevent the build-up of pressure. So the Dr. Clare Congestion Blend or Mucotone, stay off the dairy and try and get the mucus down. Remember that at one stage we used to get on an aeroplane, used to get a sucky sweet at the yes. start of takeoff. Yes. Do, does that work? I mean, it does. Does it is does that... because the actual action of sucking is is opening the canals between mm. the ear and the mouth, and it's helping to release the buildup of pressure on the inner ear. So um, that yes, it absolutely does I work. Don't, I don't know when they gave up on that. It was probably a cost issue. I'd say exactly a Ryanair. <laughs> yeah. <perfect>. yeah. <laughs> Anya says, uh, "Hi, Patricia. Could you please ask Annalise uh, what any advice for treatment for a pers- person with dermatitis? Now, this dermatitis seems to react to water." And diet. I have had food allergy testing done, but I'm not seeing any improvement. I've been to consultants, etc. I don't seem to be getting anywhere. Do you have general advice around dermatitis? Skin is always quite a difficult one, Patricia, because the measures that you put in place to kind of fix the skin may not be seen in the skin for six to eight weeks. The skin actually acts as a detoxifying organ in the body. So you need to make sure that everything else that is responsible for detoxifying primarily is working well. The gut is definitely one of those. So even if you do a food intolerance test and remove foods that are causing problems, if the gut isn't actually, I suppose, cleaned out and healed, you're only removing one of the drivers. You're not removing the rest of the drivers. The other thing then, of course, that's important as a detox are the kidneys and the liver. So they need to be supported as well. And then finally, the skin. So it's a, it's a difficult one to get right. And I've had some clients who we've seen results after four weeks and some clients who we haven't seen results for three months. So I'd suggest that she goes to see a good nutritional therapist. Um, at the very basic, what I would say to her is take a very good probiotic to make sure that your gut is healthy. Um, I would take something for the skin, um, like definitely the omega-3 fish oils and the omega-7s are very good to help kind of waterproof the skin and keep the skin supple so it's less likely to break out in a rash and get itchy. And then I'd use a cream like the um, Hope's Relief do a very good anti-itch cream and also we get very good feedback on the Salcura Zeoderm or the Salcura uh, derma spray they seem to be very soothing and help take the, the itch out of the skin Okay let me put two questions in together first just come in what would Annalise recommend for a broken rib with the healing please and somebody else says I'm recovering with a fractured wrist what will help with the healing So in fact it's lovely to see it Patricia in the, in the uh, hospitals they recommend you take vitamin C when you break a bone to help with healing vitamin C is very important for the collagen of the bone itself so that the bone will heal strong but elastic and rather than brittle 
You could take a calcium supplement if you're not good at taking calcium in your diet. But I do think increasing calcium-rich foods, like your nuts and seeds, particularly almonds, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds, they're all very rich in calcium. Green leafy vegetables, so having lots of salad leaves, broccoli for your dinner, cabbage, kale, all of those leafy greens are very high in vitamin C. Oranges are very good for vitamin C. Chickpeas, kidney beans, lentils. So you'll get plenty in your diet. So I would, I would rather see somebody take a low-dose calcium and magnesium supplement with some boron in there for bone healing and definitely a vitamin C. And if you can get your hands on it, Dr. Claire does a bone healing tea. Um, it was, used to be called that before. I think it's called osteo support or something similar now. But there's a lot of lovely herbs in there that help the bone knit well back together. OK, and best of luck to both with uh, recovery from a break. James Infamoy was on. His dad, who he says is in his late 80s, got blood tests recently. And the results have showed that James's dad, his blood is low in sodium. What would raise sodium? That's so all. So sea salt is the best, Patricia, yeah. actually. And what I suggest to people a lot of the time, we've been so convinced that we should have absolutely no salt in our diet. I actually, that was something I should also mention for leg cramps. If you're on a very low sodium diet, that would be another very common cause. So just put a small pinch of sea salt into your bottle of water. If you're drinking too much water, you could be diluting your sodium in your blood levels, and that would be a reason. If you're following a low-sodium diet, or sometimes it is something going on with the kidneys where the kidneys are dumping too much sodium. But the best way to counteract it is a pinch of either Himalaya or good quality sea salt into your glass of water and make sure that you salt your food as well. That's another yeah, point. Yeah, I think, yeah, and particularly now with the warm weather as well, the people are going to be with people sweating a lot more. Exactly, you're going to need more salt. You can get it, in, like if you want to spend the money, Patricia, you can buy really nice electrolyte drops, Viridian do them, or you can buy tabs that you just chuck into a bottle of water, fizzy tabs, and they have a blend of all of the electrolytes, including sodium, magnesium, calcium, so that they won't be displaced. Um, but the cheapest option is to do it with sea salt. Yeah, yeah, and a little bit of salt on your food, there's nothing uh, like it. Okay, and a final one, what would you recommend to, for, to get rid of nail fungus? So the best thing for nail fungus that we find here in the shop is the grapefruit seed extract. Some people use tea tree oil and some people use oregano oil and they can work as well. But my experience is that customers get the best results with that. So it comes in a liquid. Um, the best way to do it is to place, to put it directly onto the uh, fungal nail itself every single day, morning and evening, and then to do actually a foot bath with it. So put some drops into some warm water and soak the feet so it gets under the nail. I'd also add some um, to the inside of any kind of cloth runners or trainers or anything like that because the fungus will get into the, the fabric and also to add it in when you're washing your socks so that the socks are getting a good clean as well so you're not reinfecting yourself. Okay, listen, have a lovely week. Enjoy this fine weather. Thanks, Patricia. Get your vitamin D and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for that. That is uh, Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. And uh, Annalise this afternoon will put up on her website healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio if you didn't get to write down any of the advice that Annalise gave today. Before I go, a couple of quick texts just to catch up on. Uh, Patricia, I was in the very same position as that patient, Olivia, who spoke to you from our hospital bed in Mallow General Hospital. I was there for 10 days with a very similar problem to what Olivia outlined and I couldn't agree more with your listener. The attention from every staff member in the hospital, absolutely amazing. They certainly go the extra mile for the patient in their care. We are so 
fortunate to have such a wonderful facility in our area and long may it last. There's no name on that, but thank you. I appreciate your WhatsApp. And then Sheila heard me talk about the diabetes and the study that's come out from the University in Limerick wasn't it showing that you need to get up and exercise after you've eaten and she just says hi Patricia I've just recently been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes I am going to start doing like what the old saying used to be I don't think I've ever heard of this saying before but Sheila remembers an old saying that says after dinner rest a while after supper walk a mile says Sheila and that's exactly what this study is showing and I suppose after dinner rest a while that would have been back in the era where you had your dinner in the middle of the day and you had your supper at night so after supper walk a mile says Sheila I have never heard of that saying uh, before but good luck to you with it uh, Sheila and hopefully you will be able to reverse that type 2 diabetes because I certainly have heard people who have been able to reverse it it doesn't mean just because you've got a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes that it's going to be with you for life it is possible to reverse it if you put the work and the effort in so good luck uh, with it and our apologies that we didn't get around to all of the questions for Annelise every now and again on a Monday for whatever reason we just get floored with the number of questions in and it seems to be on this particular Monday. Thank you to Michael though in Castletown Bear when I was talking about fuel prices. Michael says Patricia up the northwest, and I don't know what part is it northwest Cork Michael or northwest of the country. Uh, diesel is down to 188. Uh, Michael I actually heard there was some place in Cork City that had it down to 170 uh, during last week I don't know if it's still the same okay I've got to leave it there thanks to uh, John Paul for producing Nick Witcher for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow with today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.